The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. I <laughs> love that sound. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Winemakers. I'm John Myers here with my really good friend, Bart Hansen, and Jeff Cohn, and a very special guest today, Stephanie Cook. Welcome to the po- uh, to our podcast and the Winemakers. Stephanie, Stephanie is actually the first um, non-team member to do the pour, I think. You know, I, usually it, it was a hell of a pour, <laughs> too. It sounded good, milk. right? It sounded, it sounded really good. More importantly, what does it, it taste like? Right. And there you go. Well, we're dealing with sound as well as how it tastes, and we'll let them know how it tastes because I'm sure it's fabulous. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on this morning. Absolutely. We have fun. Jeff, I haven't seen you. I'm sorry I missed the last podcast, but I, I'm sure that the guys took great care of oh, you. Oh, fantastic. You know, I mean, every once in a while you're on special assignment, so um, that's the way things run. So how is harvest going, guys? What's it look like out there 2018 and start of October? So far, so good. Um, a little slow season, obviously. Um, taking a little while for things to get right for us. Um, we've pulled in Savion Blanc and some Pinot Noir from Canaris. Um, so yeah, it's getting underway. Yep, same thing with me. We've um, you know pulled in our Shannon Blanc from up in Mendocino County. Uh, it is officially fermenting today, so Excellent. that's nice. It's been, you know, <laughs> it's good for you. Six days or so. <laughs> you're going to get going. You're going to make um, uh, Brian Casey very happy. Right, exactly. <laughs> your number um, one fan. And uh, Zinfandel came in um, on Saturday, and it's just sitting nice and cold and uh, waiting to for that to start warming up and kick it off. So. And I'm and I'm the jealous one because I have nothing. Right. <laughs> I have right. nothing no, yet. It's what funny. do you mean I, nothing yet? I have nothing. I, well, I have the Valdez Zinfandel, yeah. and that's still going. But right. but other than that, everything else is in, down the road. This is one of those things we've talked about before. It's like one of the hardest decisions there is to make, and the most important is when do you say, okay, let's pick a vineyard or pick a block, and. Um, Sam said before, it's like, or maybe Phil was something about, you know, and then you don't want to second guess yourself. You can't because you've already made no, that commitment you and you go, right? That's true. It's true. When, when it tastes right, that's when you make that's, that's exactly right. It's all in the yeah. vineyard. When it tastes right and it's right in, in your gut, that's when you pick it. And, the, it. and it really seems like I don't even check sugars until I just decide that it's what it is. Like, we're going to pick it tomorrow. Let's see what it's at. Because there's always enough sugar, it seems, um, at least with the varieties I've been working with, um, before it tastes good, right? It's always the hurry up and wait. Um, you get sugar accumulation, but without any flavor. And that's what you wait for. And right, when, Jeff? when the birds attack... But not this year, right? Not this year. This year. This year. And, and Stephanie's bringing in uh, uh, rock piles in today. I am. Wow. So I think she's probably loving the fact that she has the flavors and the sugars yeah, at the same time. Absolutely. That's awesome. So, well, it's, yeah. it's been um, cool, but we've had sun, but you haven't gotten the degree days that you need, the heat, right? Sure. Yeah. Well, the next couple of days, we're going to get the heat. So uh, yesterday, you should have done a lot, you know, and it's cooling off a little today, but tomorrow it's supposed to be back in the 90s, I think. Somebody said something about a little rain 
at the end of the week. But then I then I checked another site and it's just cloudy. So I only saw it on one site. So watch this. So Stephanie, your label is called Wonderment. <laughs> Sorry, John. No, we just don't ahead. talk about that stuff. <laughs> your label is called Wonderment. Can you tell us a little bit about you and how you just came to decide to get into this crazy business we call the wine business like the rest of us here? Um, well, it's a good excuse to be able to drink while you're working. So that's obviously a smart move on my part. Um, so my dad made wine when I was a kid out of Muscadine and Scuppernam grapes. Uh, absolutely horrendous. It was in um, South Carolina. He definitely wasn't selling any of his wine, and Parker wasn't knocking on his door for any samples. Um, unfortunately, my father passed away 10 years ago, and at that time I decided to fulfill my dream being a winemaker. Um I had went to college to be a trained chef, so that's my background is in culinary. Um, so after my dad passed away, I it, it took me a couple of years to try to put all the pieces and parts together, try to figure out how I was going to make this dream a reality. So I met Robert Bialy of Robert Bialy Vineyards, yeah. and I basically told him, you're going to teach me how to make wine. And he looked me square in the face, and he says, no, I'm not. So the fall of 2011, I showed up at his winery and said, here I am teach me how to make wine. So I did my first harvest intern in 2011 with him. In exchange for his knowledge, I worked for free. Mm. A um, true internship. Yes. <laughs> but that's the way you learn. That's the way you come up through the ranks, huh? Absolutely. And then from there, I just went on to work with other wineries and other great winemakers. Um, I did not go to UC Davis for winemaking. I just decided to die a full you know, right into the pool of winemaking just That's by awesome. doing it and working with great winemakers. Yeah. Um, the name Wonderment came about, um, like I said, my dad made homemade wine when I was a kid. Obviously, that was in South Carolina, not here in Napa. So he did not, unfortunately, leave me any a winery or any vineyards. So, right. Damn. Um, <laughs> I know. I don't know what his problem was. So my last name was Cook. So I did not want to use Cook Family Wines because that name has already been taken. Um, and I didn't want to compete against the sparkling understood, world. Understood. Uh, so it was more of a marketing, um, a marketing thing for me. So I wanted to use a word um, that was going to last for the next thirty or so years. I wasn't going to get tired of. Um, so I chose the word wonderment because wonderment means surprise, delight. So, and so I just put wonderment wines together. And then if you look at the label, you'll see that there's a unicycle on on the bottle. So in order to make great wine, you have to have great balance. In order to ride a unicycle, you do as great. well. So that's where it all came about. So the question is, is do you ride a unicorn? I don't ride a unicorn. I mean, <laughs> I'd like to see her ride don't, the unicorn. That would be quite interesting. We edit this, right? First, no, first, we, first we have no, to we find the unicorn. <laughs> um, do you ride a unicycle? I do not, no. I was actually in a mountain bike race one time over in Napa and at the college that's up on the hill. Um, and I, had, I was going so slow that guys on unicycles were passing me. Going downhill. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, it was well, pretty. Intense. They don't. They don't have brakes. Right. <laughs> were they dressed? Were they, yeah. dress, were they crazy. dressed in crazy outfits? <laughs> no, they were, just, they were yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, well, this first wine, the Sauvignon Blanc, is delicious. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, Hyde Vineyard. Uh, we definitely have heard of that one. Um, yeah, it's really beautiful. I can't say I've really had any Sauvignon Blanc from Hyde uh, myself. Um, it, it's it's got that nice, cool climate, aromas, and it's very well balanced, just as you said. So congratulations. Thank it's you. very nice. You're making the best of Carneros. I am. And you're getting to have it this morning. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> beautiful stuff. You know, and, and I'm not fully behind Chardonnay yet, 
Sauvignon Blancs and other whites uh, hit me more than Chardonnays do normally. And I come from, you know, a background where we started drinking Chardonnays and people were talking about oaky and buttery. And, you know, it was a very 1980s style. And now things have really changed where they're getting crisp, they're getting lighter, they're getting just more flavor. I mean, they're letting it happen. And, you know, less oaky. Um, you know, lots, lots of stuff in stainless now and different things. So, and that is this right. Is beautiful. This, this is uh, stainless still for a minute. It does see a little bit of oak in the latter part of its life, just to give it that little bit of weight and that nice mouthfeel mm-hmm. to it. Um, I used two different mm. yeast strands, um, and then at the end, I'd put them all together and, and mix them. So, um, and how many cases is this? Well, obviously, it depends on the year. <laughs> um, I. The 2017 was around 150 cases. Um, the 2018, which I just brought in, is going to be around 275 cases. So. Cool. That's yeah. good. That's some growth. Congratulations. Plenty, plenty, yeah, plenty, plenty. Yeah. It's yeah. good. Yeah, you've got a lot of wine to go through. We do. You know, we've had people on who do, what, I think our lowest is 1,000 cases, 500. We've yeah, even, yeah, a couple hundred cases between myself and yeah. Casey Graybill and a couple other people. And, and that, we love talking to, you know, the small batch processor and winemaker it's just there's something about making it yourself and owning it versus working at a large company that sells eight hundred thousand cases a year it's sure just, we like the personality the small batch well of it's all pick. hands-on for sure i mean every bottle and every grape that comes through it has my my hands are in it so and i make seven wines um Currently, next year, this year is going to be a little bit different. Um, to only fifteen hundred cases, so okay. I am one of the small yeah. boutique wineries. Yeah, right. absolutely so, yeah. are. Yeah, and um, and so Sauvignon Blanc is that the one white wine you make? So it is currently. Um, in years prior, I've made a hundred percent Simeon that came from the Hyde Vineyard as well. Okay. Um, unfortunately, that vineyard was eaten up with botrytis, and so we had to rip it up. Uh, it has been replanted. So in lieu of making the Simeon, I decided to switch to Sauvignon Blanc. I have a habit of making wines that I like to drink. So right. worst case scenario, if they don't right. sell, I'll be drinking them. Right. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think we all kind of. Um, We're all down that path. All down <laughs> that path. And, and, and yeah, and then it's the ones that are selling real well that you want to drink all the time too. And you know, you should be selling them. And then, they're, and then they're sold out and you miss them. <laughs> I mean, Bart was smart enough to tell me, put some of this away. And Peter Mathis the same way. When when I first got his Uber blend, he said, stash some of those. And now I do have 2012 Dane Sellers cab still hanging around. So I'm I hope you're not disappointed when you <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's that's perfect wine, man. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you have to sell. You gotta sell it. I mean you gotta it's, sell it's it. Money. Oh, it's money, money, money. I yeah. mean I'd love to save stuff of mine all the time, but it you need to make the money. Well, it's, save a know, few. I mean, it really is because it's all about kind of cash flow. Let's face it. It's, it's cash flow business. But right now or before harvest, it's all about raising capital to pay for grapes, right? You know, you know mm-hmm. and, and budgeting that. And that's something I've been a little bit on the slow learning curve. I'm starting to understand it a lot more now. Um, but I was in the vineyard a while back with Hardy Wallace, and he was saying that, you know, they do one big release and they do it in july or their biggest one is in july for shipping in october and he said it's all about raising money for grapes and so it's nice to know everybody's kind of in the same boat there oh, yeah. or at least <laughs> and, <laughs> jeff, yeah, we are. and jeff i can't keep wine i mean uh, i get wine i drink the wine 
It's rare that I can even stash. Well, and Steph, Steph, like Stephanie John. knows I, I have a shirt that says, drink it now, we'll make more. Yeah, that's, and, that's uh, a, you know, I like that's the, the, uh, the philosophy. I mean, when people ask me how long they should wait, I'm like, no, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. Drink it. It's right. afternoon. Drink it. What are you now? waiting for, right. you know? Well, the, there's a lot of that in there. I mean, and then, you know, I've, I've purchased a few really old vintages through... Um, Oh, those folks in uh, God, I'm not now. I'm even forgetting uh, their name, but they they specialize in buying collections. Benchmark, benchmark, benchmark. and you know a '94 Bocastel, but you know you it it's not what you would think. It doesn't keep that long. You know, it loses. Well, well, it's you, not that you've got it's some a, of it, but it loses the fruit or yeah. this or whatever. I mean, it's anyway, a stylistic thing. There are some people they thrive on older vintages, wines, more tertiary flavors, less fruit driven, and and that's just a stylistic thing. You know, I mean, um, you know, well, we've had we, we've and, had and wines, we've, and we live here, so we tend to drink wines younger. We do. We drink, um, especially you know us what? in the business. We'll take your wines. These wines, I I love them when they're young. Right. I have not had the opportunity to have them when they're much older, but I just live knowing, longer. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure in one day I will. Um, I hope and uh, and live longer. Trust me. And uh, I, I think her wines are of the style that will really age gracefully, um, and and just build on the secondary and tertiary. Well, let's flavors. try something. So let's try the next one. Well, by the way, I the had to make comment that Sauvignon Blanc is rocking, right? Beautiful, it's, man. It's, it's got such nice structure and mouthfeel. And I've been asking for I bottles, and I never get them. I don't know. Because she's selling them. I'm that's sure what. you can order them online. I I'm know. On, I'm on her website. There is an order uh, oh, section. So. There is. <laughs> nice website, by the way. See, I brought, I brought her some I got out of Charleston. Did it for me. Excellent. Well, I did a good job. So do you live in Charleston? I do. So full-time in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, obviously, when it's not harvest, I come back out every six to eight weeks just to taste through my wines, to top, sure. to do yeah. all that fun stuff. Obviously, when it's harvest, I'm here full-time to make the wines. So the rest awesome. of the year, I am doing wine dinners, selling, and promoting Wonderment Wines. Always be closing. ABC. ABC, yes. We've so, been, we've been out get... to, sorry, John, we've been out to Kiowa, uh, I guess, three or four times um, on vacation and always spend a little bit of time in Charleston and just beautiful town, town, isn't it? Such it great is. restaurants. Are you, um, did you escape yeah. the storm? I did, yes. Excellent. Yes. Good. Luckily, we, very... we did escape. Unfortunately, for the people in North Carolina, they do, were not so lucky as we were. So, Yeah, we have friends out there, <laughs> and, and, and it floods. I mean, it does. It's just, and it's all going to get worse. Well, that, <laughs> you know? I mean, we live in the low country, and there's a reason why they call it the low country because yeah, it is, is very low. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, you're not going to see pretty. flooding at uh, right? Bart's place yeah. up here on the mountain. So, so I, I, I just want I mean, to make a comment, another comment about your wines, without getting your head like this. But well, you have but to be able to take the headphones as, off. As so. we, you, we all know Anne Charlotte, right? Yes. Okay, course. so if Anne Charlotte from Fontaloupe was making California wines, I think they'd be like that. Yeah. As you taste through, you, you'll, you'll see what I mean. So um, Stephanie just poured a 2015 Pinot from Dutton Campbell Vineyard. I assume it has, it's the Dutton family farms it and they lease the property from the Campbells. I, I that mean, is correct. Yeah. Um, Russian River Valley. And it is, it's just beautiful. It's, it's perfumey and um, really enters really soft and rich. And yeah, it's beautiful wine. Thank you. 
Um, do you want to talk about it a little bit? So, yeah, so this is 2015 Dutton Campbell. The Dutton's farm at um, Bruce Campbell owns the vineyard. It is in Sepastable, which is sub-appellation of Russian River Valley. This is going to be triple seven in Pomard clones. It sees 10 months in used French oak, and every year we make around 200 to 275 cases of the production. Isn't so the, no new barrels. Sorry, John. No. I keep doing that to you. Um, well, that's why I like it so much, because it's it, part of my problem with the Pinots that I've tasted recently from California. For me, they just have too much oak impact. And this is beautiful. And this is showing terroir. Right. More than, it's more than a, oak. It shows a sense of place. Yeah. Russian River Valley is awesome, isn't it? It's beautiful. I mean, the, that whole section from 101 all the way over, way past you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's phenomenal. We were up seeing David Ramey um, th mm -hmm. the other day in Healdsburg. And, uh, you know, he, he does a lot in the, in the valley. And it's just a perfect place to grow, grow grapes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like Glen Ellen here. You can, in fact, Sonoma County. You can pretty much grow, well, certainly, town of the top grapes anyway. At oh, least. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You just have to find the right little section, you know. And they prove that from how diverse the plantings are here. You know, we definitely don't have the monoculture like the other no. side of the valley no. um, or the other side of the mountains. Um, and they do what they do really well. And I think we're doing what we do really well. So. Well, we've, good. we've expanded so far. I mean, it's just amazing with the new AVAs and how they've split things up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we were also sitting on Moon Mountain the other day and then talking to Mike Benziger. You get up into these places and you can understand why they grow such great, perfect fruit. And, uh, of course, starting with good fruit is the best way to do it, right? Absolutely. You can't make a good wine out of crappy fruit, can you, Jeff? <laughs> but you can you can screw up good fruit, from what I've heard. You have a better chance of making a great wine if <laughs> yeah, you start you with the best. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to throw any grape growers under the bus right now. No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Because no. it is recorded history. It is recorded history. Um, uh, so, Stephanie, did you, you grew up in Charleston? I grew up in a small or, town in South Carolina, not in Charleston. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what um, what was your father's background? What is he was a great home home winemaker. Yeah, like was garage maker. Yeah, made uh, in the he actually made it in the laundry room. So yeah, it was yeah. just something. And was he a farmer or he was a, me a mechanic? Mechanic okay. by his trade. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny. My family was in the dairy industry, and they of course made some uh, wine later. Earlier, I think it was all distilled spirits, but. They made wine <laughs> later after, I guess, maybe the still got taken away. I'm yeah, not really quite sure. <laughs> Sounds kind of like moonshine, maybe? I, I, you know, I, I think that was the term he was trying to look for. <laughs> I asked my grandma that if there were any pictures from that era, and she just looked at me and shook her head. Just like, no, there was no pictures. No evidence. And now, no evidence. And now in Sonoma, it's back. I mean, yeah. uh, they're making spirits like crazy. Yeah. Um, prohibition spirits. Uh, um, the Groths have been doing a phenomenal job mm -hmm. of that. And it's amazing to kind of watch. I mean, I'm not a hard liquor drinker anymore. And, you know, I'll stick to wine. But I, I like the entrepreneurship that they have. You know, I mean, driving a whole new line of product out of Sonoma. It's perfect. So what is your favorite um, wine to drink, Stephanie? Of my own? No, <laughs> just in general. Like, what, like what, are, what are some of your inspired wines? I know that... Um, Bialy probably is one if you were asking him to make you, you know, show you how to make wine. Um, 
I'm sure none of them are Jeff Cohn's wines because that's not why we <laughs> hang out with them either. Um, I drink a lot of Fela, uh, mm-hmm. Pinot Noir. Um, I used to work at Spotswood and Staglin, so I have a quite a collection of their wines as well. Um, if I'm not drinking, love the Spotswood. One of my favorites. Well, yeah, there's Savion Blanc. Uh, Mary Airwood Savion Blanc is um, is one of my favorites as well. When I was when I was in the process of learning or trying to decide what type of Savion Blanc I wanted to make, it was going to be between Spotswood and Mary Edwards, um, the stylistic way of, of how I wanted to make it. Uh, and I think I hit it on the head whenever I, I made it. Um, it came out very well. I was very pleased with it. If I'm not drinking California, I'm drinking um, white burgundy or red burgundy. That's what I really enjoy. Good as choice. Well. So, yeah, that would be my choice. But there's a lot of great California wines, and I always tell people because I make California to drink California. Yeah. Um, try to support us. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. Sonoma Town itself and, and the surrounding area has gotten very into a Rhone style mm-hmm. because of Girl in the Fig and Sandra Bernstein just doing Rhone style wines. So my palate has, has really <laughs> changed a lot since I got into that. I mean, I was the cab drinker when I came out here. And mm-hmm. uh, Newton was one of my favorite. Uh, Spotswood, uh, Newton, you know, several uh, Napa Valley uh, vintners. Uh, well, Silver Oak was one for a while, are. you know. And, uh, and, and John, I think you've said in the past, a lot of the reason why you drank wine were business lunches or business dinners. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was very typical, especially being in Chicago. It's like, that's what you had. You had Cabernet. You had Cabernet. You had Dunhill Cabernet. Mountain was one of the big ones <laughs> yeah. back then, too. So. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, it makes perfect and sense. And you had the corporate card, I'm sure. So you were like, I mean, <laughs> and you go to, when you go in these, you know, when you go into, you know, these steakhouses or wherever you are, those are the ones, those are your options. So, you know, you're with clients or you're with none. They right. expect you to You just pick buy. a nice one. Right, oh, exactly. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a silver oak type of meal. Or That's what happens. Right, yeah, I mean, we all know it. Yeah, or Camus. Yeah, Camus. And wine wasn't as common. It wasn't as, we didn't drink it like we do then, like we do now. Um, you know, and just in my time, I've seen how much it's changed where people will They'll drink red wine, or they'll drink a bottle of wine every night. Where it was it wasn't that way. It was, my my peers didn't drink wine when I got into the wine business. They all gave me a hard time because I was twenty years old, twenty one years old, and you know I was all of a sudden a wine snob, and I was just trying to figure what, it all. Just out. trying to learn. Right? Did they want you to make beer? <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> right. no, I don't much. even know. You know, at yeah. that age, you know, yeah, exactly. But you know, but because it's, you're not supposed it's, to be sophisticated at that age, and not right. so it's more refined palate. Well, probably. and and technically, wine was sophisticated then, mm-hmm. and I think it's become more common now, and people, you know, were drinking on a more regular basis. Now they have goodness. a wine for every occasion. Right. That's I mean, right. Sitting on your deck at night, right. uh, you know, afternoon, you know, whatever you want at lunch, go to the girl in the fig, have a Syrah with uh, their steak frites, you know, or their duck confit or whatever. Um, but it's, you know, Bart's right. I mean, it, it has expanded so much. Yeah. Um, I'm just happy to live in Sonoma where I can take advantage of that. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I used to be red only. In fact, there are some clubs that I joined where it was, don't send me anything white, you know. And now I'm really into the Sauvignon Blancs, the Chenin Blancs, the, you know, even some great Chardonnays are coming out. Uh, very happy with what I'm seeing. You know, I think part of that is that we, we start with whites a lot of times. 
because they're a little bit easier initially for us to understand. Then we get into reds, and we get into more complex reds, and then all of a sudden we start tasting some whites, and the whites that we try are of a different caliber than yes, what we start are. off with. Yep. And then all of a sudden you're going, wow, this it's eye-opening. How did this you know, Grenache this Blanc happen? get so good? I mean, like going <laughs> if you went back, if we tasted that Sauvignon Blanc towards the end of this tasting, at the end of this tasting, you would pick up things that you didn't even pick up at the beginning. What is it that happens when you between the time you start a bottle and you finish that makes it taste so so much better at the end of the bottle? Oh, the alcohol in between. <laughs> <laughs> well, that has a lot to do with it. Yes, <laughs> yes. But it opens up when it you know it oh, opens up. It changes. Serve it a little warm. You know, it's like when you bottle the wine as well. You know, after you first bottle it, it goes to kind of like a little lull. A little, and then after a while, you know, it starts plateauing, and then it goes through another lull, like kind of like that bell curve kind of thing. The same thing happens whenever you actually pour one; it just it starts evolving. It's, it does the same thing. You, you have a beautiful label on a very sophisticated looking bottle. Thank you. It's very nice, heavy glass. Thank you. You know, you, you're, it's a, and people do think about that. They think about the design of the glass. They look at it or, and say, "Oh, that's a cool bottle. Look at that. How different that is." And uh, what's the one on the end that you're yeah, the see? petite Syrah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. And you put it in a completely different shape. What do they call that versus the standard? Well, it has a longer neck on it. So it's, I guess it, it's typically a. Um, it's, a, a it's a burgundy, burgundy. bottle. Okay. So the, the square shouldered ones are type different variations of Bordeaux bottles, and the other ones are burgundy bottles. Barley, we got to interrupt. Yep. I don't call this burgundy. It's a Rhone style bottle. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's Rhone shape, okay. okay. <laughs> it's amazing. It looks. It looks like a burgundy it bottle. It looks but, nothing like a burgundy bottle now that I look at that's it. That's right. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a, right. it's a Rhone have, bottle. It definitely I, has a little more attitude, that's for sure. I have seen yeah. people um, pick up a bottle of I, wine and go, look God, how heavy this is. It must be really good. Yeah. Bingo. I mean, well, you know, the other trick with that is, is that you go to pour it and you always think there's wine in it. And, and it's empty. And you make it empty, so you <laughs> got to like, go open damn. another one. Right. So um, the next wine is a, uh, a Zinfandel. And I think if I remember right, this is how the two of you um, were introduced, correct? I met Someone want to tell that story? Yes. I met you at Zap. Yeah. I'll let her tell this story. Oh, you want me to tell this story? Okay, I was I was walking around, you know, because you, you pour all day, right? I mean, right. you go to the zap functions, you're pouring all day. And I had somebody else behind the table help me. So I, I walked around with Miru, and uh, we walked around. We were tasting through wines, came across your table. And my goal is during zap is to try wines that I have not tried before. Because, you know, I can taste the Carlisles, the Bedrock all day long, but I want to try producers who are new to me right. and just see what they have. And I, I tasted her wines, and I, I, I really was, I was excited by them because um, they weren't over the top. They were very, very pretty, and I thought they all had a very nice expression of where they were coming from. Very good. How's that? Jeff, I think that's what she I, told me to say. So I hope I got it right. I think I met you through Zap. Also, I'm sure Zap is great. We on the radio show we did every year. We would do five or six uh, interviews right before the event, mm -hmm. and uh, you know it was just down, this year uh, in August down at Klein. Um, and we had, uh, of course, you want to talk to Carol Shelton. You want to talk to Susie Selby and a few others that are always there. And and so yeah, we. Zap is a great organization. They put on some great events. I love your philosophy about drinking 
people's wine that you don't know, you haven't had. This is it's exploratory, and and through that you you create friendships. Absolutely. So we're still talking, so that's good. We are. <laughs> right. How many years ago? Is it one year? Yeah, it's a, a little year. more than a year. Oh, so he's easy, he's last. easy to talk to. It really is. So. I guess at some point I'm going to have to revisit going back to Zap. You know. Um, I was a member for a couple years. I I went to all the tastings from day one, the you know the January tastings. Um, uh, but it, you know, it, it's to join, and um, I just could never justify it. To be quite honest, it's a big nut. I mean, it is. It's a, it's, it is, and it's, and and I guess the problem was is the first two years, nothing. I didn't get enough out of it, and that certainly wasn't their fault. It was because my business model wasn't sophisticated enough to like actually capture people that I met and what do you say always be ABC always, always be closing, be closing. <laughs> so um, but it's a great way to get in front of a whole bunch of people there's no captive doubt. audience that's for sure yeah, yeah definitely yeah. and they're there for one reason to try Zen well and Zap has done a remarkable job over the years I mean even Ed Zilla is a member of Zap and he's the only consumer I know who's really a member I mean, it's all basically um you know, the winemakers. So it's fascinating. They do a great job, though. So for me with Zinfandel, it's always that aroma, you know, and whether it's white pepper, black pepper, spice, um, that's what captures me. And this is one of those wines. It's, um, forget how Cody put it, a friend Cody put it one time, where he, for him it's all about um, the aroma, and for his boss it's all about the mouthfeel. And I, I don't know that I identify with either one or the other on that, but I guess it's the aroma is always what you get first. So maybe that's what I gravitate towards. Jeff, what about you? You know, it's always about aroma to begin with. It, it has to have that aroma to draw me into the palate. Right. Um, and I find that 90% of the time, if you're capturing that the, the aromatics, it's going to follow through on the palate. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Is Viognier the only wine that really is so floral and has such a bouquet and tastes so different than it smells? And that's my uh, interpretation. I get a lot of that, though. I... It's really strong, beautiful bouquet, and sometimes the wine doesn't follow up. Hmm. I'll let you take that, although well, I make the, Viognier. I, I, I would probably agree with that. Um, the Viognier's that I have... Um, had they 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 do have that extremely the, character, the characteristics yeah. of that yes yeah. yeah it's interesting you know it's a and it's just like letting the bottle sit although mm-hmm. at my house it rarely sits <laughs> <laughs> um, Joan and I have a habit of you know we kill half the bottle during dinner then we head out to the front porch just leave everything sitting go outside finish the bottle and by that time now it's really different and uh, so I like that. I mean, I've kind of learned to slow down a little bit and enjoy it. Or just open another bottle. And then well, we, right. come there back, you come go. Back, come There's back, the answer. Come do back that to that too. one later. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because they're, so evol- they're evolving so much after you leave it open. You know, then there, there's the wines that you know that you can open the night before and you can, you know, put a cork in them literally. And then this, you can have them again the next day. And right. you know that there are certain producers that you know that you can't do that with. That you have to drink that bottle. or Otherwise, you might just pour it down the drain because it's... It's not going to sit over. Cook with it. Right. We, well, we, yes, exactly. We always, you know, typically open one bottle 
every night and we may not finish that bottle because there's usually other bottles open from the night before mm -hmm. and exactly that we've talked about it a lot on the web on the podcast is you know you get a chance to see how the wine's going to age in the future mm -hmm. you know and you get an idea and as a winemaker i think that's really important and as a consumer i think it's really fascinating so absolutely um, you know especially if, if you're thinking about buying some more <laughs> right exactly. that's right and right? you also as as being a, <laughs> both a consumer and a winemaker i want to know how my wines are doing and whether they right. because other people i know whenever they buy my wines they're doing the exact same thing that we do right. um you may not drink it so you're gonna pop a cork in it sometimes you you know you pump it with gas but Sometimes you've had too much and you forget to do it, so you just pop a cork in it and you <laughs> leave it, right? Cork it, yeah. <laughs> right. Stick a cork in it. I forgot. <laughs> so it's always interesting to see which wines hold up overnight, which is versus the ones that don't, versus how much you have invested You're monetarily right in them and versus uh -huh. what you haven't. So it's always interesting to me to see the gauge, I guess, of how they do or do not hold up. I got an 08 Syrah from Sam on uh, Sunday, and... I can guarantee it's not going to sit overnight and that will be um, <laughs> consumed tomorrow, will not be put in storage. It will be consumed tomorrow with uh, a really nice meal. No, so, so it's an 08. Why not? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's I'm not going to get any better, I don't think. It's perfect now. So, love so, wine. So. so, Stephanie, I um, first I want to commend you as being on the uh, no capsule. Um, uh, yeah, wagon. <laughs> great, Thank you. Um, great trend. I did it way back when, purely because the color foils I used the year before they weren't available, and I didn't have the money to get custom ones. So I just kind of said, you know, a couple other people aren't doing it. I'm not doing it, and um, I've, I've only had one person ever complain about it. But well, you know, we don't live in primitive times. We don't have rats right. in our cellars exactly. or in our house, hopefully in our houses that are eating through <laughs> to get to the cork. So that's there's exactly really no, it. there's really no need for us to have them besides aesthetics. I mean, um, that's the reason why they were lead originally because, you know, the rats would eat the lead off the top and at least then they would die. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, good for you. Um, in, and I just noticed that um, you had a saying on the side of one of your corks. And now that I look at all the corks, they all have different sayings. And um, I got to hear the story behind this. Which um, one? So, um, well, so there's three different sayings that are on my cork. Okay. So depending on... How lucky you are, how unlucky you are, I guess, depending on what Well, we got what all three get. of them here. <laughs> um, so there are three different sayings. Uh, one is, wear your heart on your sleeve. Idle hands are the devil's tools. <laughs> and come hella high water. When I first started um, with the idea that I wanted to make wine, people sort of shunned at the idea, well, you don't know anything about wine. I'm like, I know I like wine. I know that I'm interested in it. And so it kind of became, for me, I like a challenge. Uh, if you tell me no, I'm going to tell you yes, and I'm going to show you how I'm going to do it, uh, which is kind of how why my winemaking came about. Um, people, I was like, well, I'm kind of like, I'm going to show you. And so I wanted to put little um, sayings on my on the court that reflected me. So one of them, come hella high water, I'm going to show you that I can do this, and I'm going to do it. And so I do. <laughs> I like the attitude. Sounds like a force <laughs> to be reckoned with. And I know hands are the devil's I'm, I'm careful around her, all right, so. <laughs> so, you know, they really truly are, you know. Um, I always, you know, the old saying, don't judge a book by its character. Yeah. Um, by, by, you know, its cover, um, or its character sometimes. Um 
you know, most people who see me probably would not guess that I am a winemaker, which is fine. Everybody has their idea of what they think someone should look like or what they should be. Um, oh, it's so, way too diverse these days. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, for a long time, there were hardly any women winemakers. And of course, that has changed and evolved. Luckily, thanks. Um, I'm now one of them. Um, so yeah, it was just more the, the idea of just letting people know a little more about my personality and then wear your heart on your sleeves is, you know, I do wear my heart on my sleeve. It's really easy. And I just wanted people to have, to be able to open up a bottle of wine, which it should always be fun. Uh, wine should bring people together and it's about food and wine. And I'm in both of those worlds and have been for a long time. And I always say that no matter what group of people that you put at a table, no matter if they've never met before or they've been longtime friends, you can put a couple bottles of wine on the table and you are pretty sure going to have a great evening. And that's what wine is about. It's about making new friends, making new friends yeah. and having fun. And if you're not having fun, you need to do something else. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't see in my mind anymore uh, a grizzled old guy, uh, Joel Peterson. Um, doesn't come to mind anymore <laughs> as the only winemaker. Joel, Joel, you're not a grizzled old <laughs> man. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's an older guy who is uh, the godfather really of sin, heart, right? Yeah. And, and but he look at him. I mean, he looks like a a guy who's out in the field all day, a vintner, uh, a winemaker, mm-hmm. and but we've had so many women winemakers on, and the reason I brought this up, we just got an email from one of them who's having a difficult time. She's buying a place in uh, Pasta Robles, and she was a guest on the show um, when you, yeah, you she guys was, did, uh, uh, get, yeah, did yeah, it out of the own room. Yeah, so um, she was uh, a listener, um, who um, really loved listening to the podcast and hearing about the learning about the wine business. She was actually active military and she worked part time at this winery up in Paso Robles and she moved forward and she's trying to purchase it. And she's trying we and now talked to her. Now and, the bank, well, last week she wrote to Brian and said no, the, yeah. the bank has upped what they want from her from 35% down. To fifty percent down over overnight. New decision. She thinks it's because she's a woman, um, and so, so therefore we put her in touch with Amy Best Cook from uh, Women Owned Wineries. Uh, wow, and um, trying to get see if they can't source money from other women winemakers. I mean, it's she needs it, and um, it's so. Here's something that has been we've been told is tough. You're a woman. You're not going to get. Uh, the funding and obviously you did and you were successful did you have other struggles with no i had a i had a different career prior to this right so i use i'm i'm spending my retirement <laughs> so, in a good way too <laughs> yes um so that's so i don't i didn't i didn't use any funding i, I am the funding um which is part of the reason why i source on my fruit um is to save as much of my retirement as I can in order to make my dream a reality, which right. I've been able to do. Uh, but no, it's, I mean, luckily for me, I, I, you know, I had a successful modeling career prior and then I was a trained chef and now winemaker. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, you're pursuing your passion. Good I for am, you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it, and it is nice to not have to be tied to something, you know, I mean, in investments are investments. Um, you know, and if you make it in your own business, you tend to work a lot harder on it. Well, Sorry, I'm not that it doesn't mean as much, but it's 
it's no, you know I, that it's your money, and then you know that right. it's it's not. <laughs> you don't seem to spend it frivolously on things that you you may want versus what you really need, I guess. And so it just kind of means a little bit more, I guess. Well, she run. is buying land, and we all know land is crazy expensive mm-hmm. when it comes to the Cha-ching. wine business. Cha-ching. Yeah, I wish you the best of luck with that. That's going to be yeah. interesting to see well, how yeah. that. She's got the thirty-five percent down with the bank, and somehow they flipped her and. You know, so anyway, she's a good listener, and we're trying to help her out. Well, so nice. we're, we're reconnecting her with a lot of uh, you know other women we've had on the program, and it's tremendous. We've had at least ten on this year. It's fascinating. Oh, great, awesome! Yeah. yeah. So well, I'm well trained in that. My wife has been in <laughs> <laughs> diversity and inclusion for you know twenty years. So. I'm sure, she has your ear. Absolutely. Right, I'm going to draw us back to the actual physical wines. Um, we, you have two Zinfandels, I see. Yes. So one the one of that them we... is Russian River, right? No, no this right. one. Oh, Russian River. Russian River. And the other is Oakville. Is that what I see? No, we no. have um, Pritchard oh, Peaks, pile. which is Rock Pile, which oh, I've nice. had So um, why don't you go ahead and um, talk about these wines? Um, the first one we tried was the, I never say this name right, I'm going to let you say it. Bacigalupe. Thank you. The Bacigalupe <laughs> Vineyard. So uh, a lot of you guys may be familiar with Bacio Galupe because they uh, sold to Chateau Montalina for the Paris tasting in the 70s. Um, oh, there, yeah. So that was, obviously, that was Chardonnay, Chardonnay. and, of course, this is going to be Zinfandel. But that is what um, I think kind of sort of got um, Bacio Galupe on the map, so to speak, um, early on. So they've been farming for a very long time. This vineyard is situated on West Side Road in Russian River Valley. Uh, it's head-trained. The vines themselves are old vines, so they date back from, um, I guess, from the early 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this vineyard, and I love the wine that I make out of it because it's very feminine, and it's very pretty. Uh, nice lilac, lavender, bouquet on the nose. It's just, to me, a beautiful example of what Zinfandel can be without being, you know, a sucker punch as some Zinfandels can. Right. Um, We're all in agreement about that. So 15 months in used French oak. Um, all of the wines that I make um, see used French oak only. Um, and the reason I do that, again, I like to make wines that I like to drink, but it's also about being able to show off the vineyard and the toir and you know what's going on in the vineyard. I think that you shouldn't be masking the wine with putting a lot of oak on them. Because then it sort of defeats the purpose of what we work so hard for all year long in the vineyard, and by you not being able to let the fruit be on the forefront instead of obviously if you're using a lot of oak, you're, there's going to be a lot of oak instead of the fruit. Right. So, um, which is why I do right. uh, do that, and I have great sources uh, for my oak, which my oak program. Uh, I buy used barrels from places that I've worked um, (laughs) and some other nice people that I know. And so I usually buy white barrels that have never been through my lactic fermentation. Mm -hmm. And so they're usually only used for about 10 months. And so they have a lot of oak on them still. Okay. And then I get to buy them for a lot less than I would buy new ones. And I can use them for both white and red. So it's a really good concept of what works for me. May not work for anyone else. I used to work with a winemaker and he used to always say that if he could have one barrel, it'd be once used 
French oak barrels. And, um, you know, there's a lot to be said about that because those are usually the most integrated if you're trying brand new barrels one year, two year, three year, four year, you know. So, um, yeah, that's that's great. It's And it's hard to get those sources. I know she didn't give up any of the names. <laughs> no, she's not going to give up yeah. any of the names. No, no like, am no I going contacts, to? <laughs> you know. she, she, but she did ask me today, when, when, when do I sell my barrels, <laughs> my used barrels? That I was did. one of the first things. Well, you know, I'm looking for a, a, some used large format, Jeff. You know, uh, any, uh, any and any what was my comment about the large formats? They don't <laughs> no, go they don't away go very, very often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Help a brother out, man. Gotcha. Come on. <laughs> Well, finding sources like that, I mean, it's tough. Everybody's in hey, the, everybody wants them. You know, right? there's two things you don't do. You don't, um, you don't poach your friend's vineyards Never. or anybody's vineyards, Never. period. Um, you know, and, um, and, and you keep your friends close so that way they can help you out and you can help them out. I mean, this is a small community we work in, um, even though it keeps getting bigger and bigger. Um, but in this day and age, everybody knows everybody's business and, and what's going on. And, and I mean that in a positive People know more about me than I know about myself. It's <laughs> just scary. Yeah. I didn't even know I was there. Right, right. You know? But I supposedly I was. <laughs> Jeff, you got a great persona going, man. It's don't don't ever change. Don't ever change. I love it. Um, so it's uh, let's try the other Zen because I'm sure it's going to be oh, a lesson in terroir um, and, and source. So I'm going to be honest. I think this was the Zen. That I tried. This is the Zen that I liked at, at Zap. I think you were making this at that point. I think this mm -hmm. was I've it. I've been making this for a long time. So I sourced the fruit from the Mortons. Um, yep, I, so Clay worked, when I worked at Kenwood, we bought a lot of fruit from the Mortons. Um, and Clay did his first internship with me um, when he was fresh out of uh, Oregon. Uh, and then he went on and became a salesperson for Kenwood for a number of years before they started their own brand. Um, so yeah, they have some beautiful vineyards and, um, you probably deal with his brother more than, than I, I do. Well, I've, over the years I've dealt with all of them. Um, mm -hmm. now I'm dealing more with Cam. Right. Um, he seems to be doing more, I guess, with dealing with the people that they, you know, source the, uh, right. who source the fruit from them. Um, <sighs> grower relations. Exactly. This is beautiful. So, uh, right on top of, uh, so right at the end of Dry Creek Road, right on top of Lake Sonoma for you guys who are not familiar where Rock Pile is situated. This comes from the Pritchard Peaks Vineyard. So it was planted, these are new plantings. So they were planted um, not that long ago. So they're probably seven or eight years old. Um, so they're going to be trellis as well. Um, Really high altitude, rocky soil, sits above the fog line, so it has, has its own little microclimate up there, so it takes a long time for the fog to burn off during the course of the day. Just a lot going on in the vineyard itself. Beautiful, beautiful wine. To me, this is quintessential Zinfandel for me. Um, you get a lot of minerality, obviously, from the rocky soil, but you get a little bit of pepper and spice as well. Same protocol as you as the Bacigalupe, 15 months, used French oak. Um, so I make them all the same. Some years I'll add some whole clusters in there and that type of thing, just depending on I like that. when I when I see the fruit come in. Mm -hmm. um, I'll make it. We were talking. Jeff and I were talking about this earlier in the car um, about the Zen that about the rock pile. Actually, we were talking about this particular vineyard. Um, and that was one of my first questions. And he goes, "So are clusters. you going to add?" And I said, "Well, you know, it depends. Um, you know, you have a, a recipe, so to speak." Um, and then when the fruit comes in, you sort of, you know, shoot off the hip. You decide at that moment what, when the fruit comes in and the condition that it's in right. and all that, whether you're going to add any whole cluster in or. 
What are you gonna I, do? I just went through this on Saturday because they picked my Zin on Friday night. I was down there, you know, at six to pick it up, came in. I was going to put one of the four bins in the whole cluster and crush the others on top. I got about halfway through the first bin and I went, nope, I think that's enough. And the guy working with me was like, okay, how come? And I said, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's it a good instinct anymore. you have yeah. to have. You have to have get that that sense and, of what mm-hmm. those what the what the stems are like right. and what the fruit is like at that right. point and, and, and the cluster, flavor profiles. Right. And whole cluster with Zinfandel is new for me. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So I just took a, a soft look at it for this year. Um, so I, I I love I love that you're you're thoughtful that way. Um, yeah. Or if you're going to put stems back in, you could just put stems back in, which is another whole, right, you know, right. whole another, that's a whole, that's a whole, whole different another, profile, whole, yeah, though. Totally, right. it is. It's a different profile. <laughs> right. Stephanie, what's the difference in the fruit that you get between the old vines and the new vines? You said some are eight years old, some are from 1950. Which... Well, obviously, the, the location of the vineyard is going to be the biggest um, because you have really high elevation and rocky soil coming from right. rock pile. And then here is going to be a more cooler climate coming from Russian River Valley, and they are going to be old vines. Um, probably a, a slight, I mean, a very slight slope is where this is coming from. And the, the elevation here is just un, unbelievable. I mean, it's just... Rock pile is very cool. Yeah. I mean, Jeff, I think it's interesting. Last time we tasted your wines, we had one of your rock we pile. We had the Domaine de Chirots. Domaine yeah. de Chirots. But then we had the Syrah yeah. from Russian River. Russian River. Yeah. Uh, the, the, Uncle Zio Tony. Zio Tony. Totally um, different, right? Totally different. Totally and, different. you know, n- not unlike the differences in these. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you obviously know? two different varieties, but... Two different elevations. Two different elevations. Um, it's, it's really interesting to point. But, but you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. for me, with the rock pile, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm picky about my rock pile of wines. I, I'm just, uh, you know, I've been making rock piles since 1996, uh, between Rose and Bloom and my own stuff, and... Uh, you know, when you taste the rock piles in it, it has to, for me, it has to show the that red soil, that rock pile mystique, mm-hmm. um, and not only be fruit, but it has to be more about the earth, um, and that's what I want. I want, and that's what this this is what's being offered here. It, it definitely showcases the the soil. This is a wine that. Um You'd buy some and sit on for a little bit because this wine's going to live. For and what a was long my comment time. earlier? I think these wines, as as elegant and pretty as they are now, are wines that are going to age really gracefully and be incredibly nice ten years from now. Yeah, I mean um, the acid profile in the in the um, uh, rock pile to me is something that's just going to make it because that's going to stay there. It's going to get a little softer, but it's going to get a little softer, and the fruit is just going to be there still alive. And yeah, that's beautiful. Congratulations. It's really Thank you. excellent. Cheers. Jeff, I have a question for you. Why is it that I gravitate to the uh, Casada? Your Zen Casada. You, you love that pepper. You love that cooler climate. You know, um, it's it just, it's. I love it too. I mean, it's uh, my favorite it's a, it's a, wine that you make. So. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's definitely that cooler area, um, you know, being behind Pagani Ranch. Right. It, right off it's of set up as a nest. It's set up as a nest, so and all that's that what, cool what air falls Casada into means? It. No, or that's their it? last name. Okay. What is the, what is the <laughs> vineyard name? Casada. Okay. All right. It's the Casada. Well, it's beautiful wine. And, it, and again, there it shows a sense of place, you know? It's, and you're really achieving it, uh, Stephanie. You've really nailed all the different vineyards and what it can really do. Thank you. Yeah. 
So it's, it's really a it really is a, a passion and a love. I mean, I love what I do. Obviously, how can you not love what I, I'm making? I, absolutely, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. But it, I literally am living the dream. So I'm glad that you love the wines that I am producing. So it's, so you um, make your wines at a winery open in Napa Valley, um, but no tasting room. No, so I make the wines over at Laird Family Estate, which mm-hmm. is where I use our custom crush facility. I do appointments, um, tastings by appointment only. Um, I mean, at, well, at, I, there they have there. It. they have a facility. That's cool. Well, they have a, they let me use their facility. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'm a one woman, one woman show. I do everything. So when you do a tasting, you get me. When you get to a yeah. wine dinner, you get me. I mean, I'm. Most people probably get tired of seeing me, but <laughs> that's that's, that's the what way you that it want. Is. You want, you know. I mean, the vines want your feet in the field, absolutely, and consumers want to meet who made the wine. Yeah, mm-hmm. boots on the ground, perfect. Boots on the ground. So, how do people get in touch with you, and how do they buy your wines? So you can go to winterbitwines.com. Um, you can purchase wine on my website. Um, we ship direct to consumer. Um, you, uh, we also have a wine club. So we have the baby Shriner and the Shriner up club. So for the people who aren't <laughs> quite Shriners yet, you can be part of the baby Shriner and the ones who you, who are Shriners can be part of the Shriner up club. Um, so yeah. And then I'm in, um, all up and down the East coast with distributors. We're in two, 22 different markets. So we Excellent. just, um, what, what percent so you do a lot of drive along, drive right around then. I do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Love them and hate them, right? You know, I don't mind. Um, I really like to know who is buying my wine, right. and I would like to for them to understand the process of how I make the wine and my story. So it's better for me to go and meet these people. So they, if they're trying to educate a consumer who wants to buy my wine, I would rather them know the real truth of how it all came about instead of hearing it from a salesperson who right. might get half the story right or a right. third of the story. So I don't really mind. No, nope. um, I'm a, I'm a completely identify with you because no one can tell your own story except you ultimately. And then the more you're with the people that are telling your story when you're not around, um, the more they're with you, they get to feel your passion and absolutely. truly hear the story as opposed to just what's on the website or what their sales manager told them and stuff. And then they understand more about the vineyards as well. So they understand where the fruit's coming from and how I'm making it. And, you know, it's... No, it's the whole it's the whole package. So yeah. You know what? That's the way it should be. You you want to meet the people. You want to understand what it's all about. And uh, you know that's why you know working with Bart is so interesting because he uh, I got turned on to his wines just by having him on the show and you know, befriending him and working with him, et cetera. Now I'm really into the Chenin Blanc. I'm really into the Zin. I'm really into his cab. I'm really in, love the Valeria, you know, a nice Grenache blend. And uh, I want to know where it comes from and you can, you can taste it. And you know, it, if you know the, the winemaker, that's even better if you've met them. And you do tastings in Napa, what, um, August or October? I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Obviously, that's what I'm here for, harvest. So I try to rearrange my schedule to accommodate my guests as much as much as I can. Obviously, so yeah. Well, we always want to let people know that they can simply go to your website and order wine. Absolutely, and it's beautiful. I mean, this is <laughs> I could go to every, virtually every uh, website of people we've had on and order wine. 
And, 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 and you be, should. And now <laughs> you should. I can't do them all. Often and off, a lot <laughs> often than you do. Well, you have to choose your favorite. So well, you could join. Yeah. You could join our wine clubs anytime you want. <laughs> We're equal opportunity. You know. I'll leave a hand deliver it to you. Right. There you go. Wow. Well, <laughs> I also tell people if you don't have room in your cellar, that I'll help you drink the wines That's and right. then we'll to make restack it. Right. Yes, of course, exactly, right? absolutely. So um, I see you also decided to make the second hardest wine in the wine business to sell Petite Syrah, right? I mean, those of us that make Syrah, we know how that goes, and you picked Petite Syrah. I did, yes. Again, you know, uh, Robert Bialy, I can thank him for many things, I think. So for my Zen passion and for Petite Syrah. Look at the color on that Um, wine. Oh, my God. Goodness. So it's, again, so, you know, I don't make cab. So everyone always says, so why don't you make a cab? Why don't you make a cab? I'm like, I don't need to make a cab. I make a petite raw. It's like, and I always tell people, if you really want to, you want to, if you're in a Ooh, restaurant and you beautiful. want a cab and you don't want to spend cab prices, order a petite raw if it's a good one. And you'll get some of the same characteristics. Um, I purchased this fruit from the Bachigalupis as well, um, which I find interesting because most people go, why didn't you buy Bacigalupi Pinot Noir or their Shard? Because I wanted to do something that was completely, you know, I like to beat to a different drum. So I bought their Zen and their Petite Raw. I love this vineyard. Um, it's phenomenal. It's across the street from where the Zen comes from. Um, Charles Bacigalupi used to be, he used to always be hanging out in the vineyard when he was still around. Um, I used to, I'm like, what are you doing in my vineyard? He goes, well, it's my vineyard. You buy the fruit. And I, that's fair. Um, and he, his favorite was Petit Syrah. So I make this wine intentionally lower in alcohol because a lot of Petit Syrahs can be a little overly extracted, a little cough syrupy. You need a glass of water in one hand in order to try to get a whole glass down. I didn't want it to be that way. I didn't want it to be chalky, cough syrupy. I wanted you to literally be able to sit in front of the fire in the middle of the winter with a bottle of this wine and be able to drink it without having any food or anything. Um, and you can do that. Um, I have no problems whatsoever drinking a whole bottle of it, uh, <laughs> enjoying it. Uh, or yeah, obviously you can accompany it with a nice, um, you know, duck confit, nice steak, a nice pasta dish. Uh, chocolate molten cake would be amazing with it. Um, <laughs> so it's just, I made, I wanted it to be food friendly and consumer friendly without having to sell it for 10 years. So how do you accomplish that in the winemaking? I can't tell you. <laughs> it's the grapes. <laughs> the grapes. It's a secret. Right. Shh. Trade and so for, for the article we're doing I'll tell for you later, Inc. Magazine um, with Kathy Huhe, we'll, uh, we'll notice that uh, she asked me how, how do you recognize a really good guest? You know, how do you get information out i'll make sure i mention that you can't tell me about how you actually did it well you know the last time jeff was on he said that he wasn't going to give away all the secrets and i think we actually kind of talked about not having you back again but we'd already (laughs) committed to stephanie so i don't know we're on the same wavelength well you know luckily for this vineyard um the fruit gets the the tannings and the acid and the ripeness get they get ripe all at the same time. It's really, it's a perfect marriage of winemaking for me. And it's not where I need to let it hang for a really, really long time in the vineyard. So when it, and it, and it, unfortunately or fortunately, when it becomes ripe, it's one of the, it's one of these varietals or that particular vineyard. It's not going to get any better the longer I hang it on the vine. Okay. It's just every, when it's, when it all comes together at one time and it's that perfect marriage, it's, it's time to pick it. And, 
it just will not, I don't want to say it will not. I mean, I guess it could if I was just let it hang as long as I possibly could. But I realized early on working with this vineyard in the site that that's just when it's at its best is that when it is lower in the alcohol, it doesn't need to be this super monster wine. It's the vineyard telling me that that's what it's capable of doing and I need to just accept that and I'm fine with that. And it makes such a beautiful wine. Why should I try to get more out of it than what it needs? Because it's, it's perfect just the way that it is. You know, I've... That's what she describes me, too. <laughs> perfect <laughs> just the way, just the way I am. That's yeah. yeah, very nice for her. Um, I, I always like to say, and people, some people roll their eyes at me, that I say Zinfandel is actually a very delicate grape. And, and it is. And it, it is. is. It is. And, and uh, treated correctly, made correctly, right? You yeah. know? Um, and, but the habit is always to, or the tradition, at least for me coming up through Kenwood, we'd always put a little petite in the Zin. A little topper. And try flavor. to find that, that number, right? Mm-hmm. But petite can swamp Zin also oh, and take away that delicacy, delicate part of it. Um, and just for the consumer, you want to have a fun tasting, get a bottle of, or a couple bottles each of the Zinfandels and then buy a couple bottles of the Petite Syrah. And you can do a tasting and really see how different varieties, one, are in different terroirs. And then the Petite Syrah just shows how a variety grown on the same piece of property as one of the Zinfandels. And sometimes I think people think, oh, Zinfandel, Petite Syrah, they're so similar. And this proves that they are nothing at no, all. No, right. not at all. They are totally different um, beasts. Um, so I just want so I want to tell And that was meant to be a compliment. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it came out quite right. It did. So all the wines that I make are 100% bridal and 100% vineyard designate. So I don't do any blending. I did one blend um, of Bacigalupi. Um it was 75% Zinfandel, 25% Petite Syrah. It was just something that kind of, sort of kind of happened, uh, not intentional. Um, so I have made one blend, but again, it wasn't intentional. And I, when I bottled it, I only bottled it in three liters and five liters because I didn't want it on the streets for the consumers to actually know that I actually made one or to, so they would think that I was <laughs> blending because I don't blend. So that is one of the things that I think sets me apart um, is because I want you to be able to distinctly know that this came from it's 100% Zinfandel, 100% Petite Syrah from this vineyard and obviously the growers that I buy my fruit from love and love my love me and love my wines enough that they're going to let me put their name on their um, their name on my bottle right. so hopefully that speaks volumes for them and for me um, and it's just something you know everybody's got their niche of how they make their wine and what they're they're known for and that's what I'm known for is single vineyard desert wine. I like it. So yeah. And you picked some really good ones. You know, we've talked about this also in the past, how there's more and more vineyard designates all the time. And a lot of them you've never even heard of. And it's just because it's part of a marketing ploy mm-hmm. um, to try to charge a little more money. Um, I have a wine that I've vineyard designated because I was trying to distinguish it. And it's not going to, it, it doesn't necessarily need what I think of being vineyard designated. It was a decision I made and now I kind of question it. But these are all names that if you drink wine and you drink any of these varieties, you know these names. And these are all deservedly our vineyard designated wines because they're unique and of utmost highest quality. So um, I'm sure that you pay uh, handsomely for these grapes also. And, um, and, and it's well spent. So well, thank you. Yeah. Bart, out of the people that we have talked to in the last year or so, how many are... This is a test. 
Pure uh, 100%. How many are uh, blending wines? It's about 50-50, isn't it? Um, I, I, I would say that most likely everybody makes at least a couple wines that are 100%. Right. Um, but I don't know that, I don't know, I'd have to really look at the list. Who Everybody's kind of adding uh, a little Casey, something Casey here. Casey Graybill was there. 100%. I, I mean, I, I think it's very few. Um, but you know what? It, that's not really anything more than just the winemaker's decision um, on oh, what they're going to do. Yeah. Jeff, what do you see? I mean, I, it's it's a mix. It's a mixed bag. Okay. I mean, you know, I do blending. I yeah. do blending because that's you know, like Casada, that's the vineyard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you're, right. just, you're not going to take it out. Um, uh, certain vineyards, I think, you know, I love them as a hundred percent Zin. You know that that Rinaldi that we had yeah. the other day. I mean, I couldn't even imagine that having a petite in it right. because I think it would take away. Right. So I agree with your statement, Stephanie, that you know, sometimes petite is great. But sometimes it overpowers, and it takes away from the the perfume, the uh, the the focus of what Zinfandel is all about. Around the corner from your place at Three Sticks, uh-huh. and they make uh, the Castaneda Field Blend, and it's thirty percent white and seventy percent red. It's just a you know nice, beautiful blend. Knocks me out, and I'm amazed that I I really hadn't known that they were adding white wine to red wine. Any very very coat roti, right? Yeah. Very very coat roti. In any situation here, and you've seen a yeah. lot more of it now here in the valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and 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 some of that's just neither for Instagram is... hits, so that way people go. Oh, there are white grapes in there. <laughs> yeah, now now it's going to be interesting to go back and taste I'm the Sauvignon you, Blanc. We're going to taste the Sauvignon Blanc because I'm going to tell you, for me, I love tasting whites last because I really think they really. They explode. Like your first date? That's right. Like that first date. Thank you. You're such a good promoter of my own wines. And that's why I keep her around. Right. right? That's why she's she just a good promoter. You around. I think it's the other way around. Yeah. So. Well, you know, at this point in the uh, podcast, I always start to kind of close. And Brian, of course, who's on assignment today. Brian and Sam are both on special assignment. Yep. Brian's doing some family stuff. Sam, I believe, is in the field. Some grapes, yep. yeah. Early um, started yesterday so at we're six sorry a.m. They weren't able to be here. They were both disappointed. But um, you have to at, have me back. Right there, you go. There you go. <laughs> I talked her up, didn't I? <laughs> I did. Perfect. Hey, you know, look, that's that's who we are and what we want to do. We want to demystify wine. We are very casual. We're not all four sommeliers. We're treating it so seriously that it's not entertaining. And it's the personality of the wine that makes it um, a good podcast in the first place than the vineyard or, and the winemaker. And finally, what, you know, what we really like is the interaction. Smell it's that. just perfect. It's, it's, it's a... Whoops! It becomes a total different experience for me, at least. At least that's how I feel. As as nice as I thought it was at the beginning, now a it's had a little more time of air, and it, it just it, I almost blew it. <laughs> it blows up in the glass. It's incredible. Love it. Yeah, and it's it's slightly warmer, of course, also. So it's kind of op- um, showing being a little more showy. I don't know if you want to. No, just yeah. When it's colder, it has you know it can be a little more closed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now it's really showing 
really beautifully. I have my own ro- homemade rosé here. Yeah, I was say you have a rosé, yes. <laughs> yeah, a, just a tiny little bit in there. That's all so okay. So, Stephanie, anything you, um, you want to talk about, anything coming up that you're excited about? So, I am um, making a rosé this year, speaking of which. <laughs> um, so, I'm very excited about that. Be my, I've made some rose, uh, rosés in the past um, at some places that I've worked. But this would be my first rosé, so I'm very excited about that. Um, Can't let that market go by. No, <laughs> no. no, not at Too all. much of an opportunity, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it would be a rosé of Zen. Um, the fruit is coming from Lake County. Uh, I make another Zinfandel, which comes from Lake County, which comes from the Kelsey bench up there. Mm-hmm. And I'll be using some of the fruit the, from that vineyard as well to make the rosé. Damn, Jeff, you were right. What? See? You were it's very interesting to go back to the uh, Sauvignon Blanc after drinking those deep reds. And, and the Petite Syrah just was the capper. I mean, that's just beautiful, dark, violet, beautiful colors and so deep. And, and this is so refreshing afterwards. It's so different. Awesome. It's awesome. Very interesting. I want you to please, um, since you are you know, so direct to consumer, let everybody know exactly how they can call you. Have a very interesting phone number that ends yeah. in Vino. <laughs> uh, so I saw. I do, yes. Um, so you can um, get on my website at wondermentwines.com and you can purchase wine directly. Uh, we ship to pretty much anywhere in the United States. Um, obviously, if you're going to be in the Napa Valley area um, in the next couple of weeks or during harvest, Shoot me an email. Um, I'd be happy to accommodate you for a tasting, and then you can call us. Um, and it's and Wonderment. It is Wonderment. W O N D E R M E N T. It's very easy. Have a Wonderment day. There you go. <laughs> Why not? Wow. <laughs> and so, um, all your social media, I believe, is also Wonderment Wines. Also, it correct? is. Well, yes. Okay. So, uh, folks, you can uh, you can follow along Stephanie's harvest this year. Um, I know she posted a couple of things here recently. Her grapes coming in and uh, pressing today. Was that today? It was yeah. indeed. And, uh, it was oh, raining Sauvignon Blanc raining already Sauvignon this morning. Blanc. Excellent. Well, been Stephanie, very thank you. Thank you for coming on, and um, I will give. I will in, in Brian's place. We'll give out the shout outs to there you go. Uh, to Sandra Bernstein. Um, last Friday, she had us uh, down for Grenache Day celebration down at Sweet D. Um, always a great party. A whole bunch of um, uh, local Grenache enthusiasts and Rhone enthusiasts there. We did capture a bunch of short interviews with people, um, but I think the later ones, we're going to go ahead and um, listen to them (laughs) before we just release them to the wild. Um, We also had a nice um, visit with Randall Graham, uh, so we're looking forward to... um, uh, sharing that podcast with that's everybody. That's going to be on this Friday, too. Um, so. This Friday, yep. Um, and Sam had an incredible party Sam on had- Sunday. It was just awesome. Yep. And Jeff had a... Tacos de Ron with the fig rig from uh, a Girl in the Fig um, serving duck confit tacos. Yep. Delicious. Oh, man, they were My petite Sarah would be fabulous with that. Beautiful. It would have been. <laughs> Jeff, you got anything going on you want to plug? or Plug? I have nothing except I want some fruit to come in the door. That's all I'm asking is that my <laughs> fruit would ripen already. Make good decisions. No. So Everything, what are you yeah. thinking Make about that? How, what, what's your time? By, by tasting room. Please come to the tasting room. Oh, your tasting room is so cool. Yeah. It's uh, a right, great tasting right room. Great people. Sonoma, right across from... Uh, the hallway from the Red Grape. Red Grape, that's it. Uh, open 
six days a week? They're open six days a week. Six days a week. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, get in there and get some of these wines we've been talking about. Check out um, Stephanie at wondermentwines.com. And uh, I guess that's it. That is it, baby. We are done. So, hey, everybody, thanks for listening to The Winemakers. We truly appreciate it. If you have a chance, please um, give us a review, and we love those. And it certainly helps other people uh, become more familiar with the the podcast. And Jeff Cohn, thank you very much for Jeff Cohn Wines. Stephanie Cook from Wonderment Wines. And, of course, Bart Hansen from Dane Sellers, one of my favorites. Um, And uh, I'm John Myers. Everybody, thanks for listening. See you next week.